Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coach Replay Show. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today I'm so excited to have with me not only an author, but uh, a someone who I would like to call a friend now because we've had a chance to work together a little bit in preparation for a really exciting upcoming uh, learning experience that we'll tell you just a little bit more about. Uh, Jennifer Abram, welcome to the Coach Replay Show. I'm delighted to be here. This is terribly exciting, Corey. Thank you. I know. Yeah, we're excited about it as well. So um, we're going to be talking just a little bit about some really essential but often pretty difficult conversations. And you've wrote the book on it, Having Hard Conversations. I've got my copy here. Um, and and you've got another book, you know, Hard Conversations Unpacked. And I just, I've followed your work for so long now. So it's been really exciting this year to get to know you and get to work a little bit alongside you. Um, so we're going to definitely talk about hard conversations. But before we do, I'd love if you just take a moment to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Jennifer. Uh, hello, everybody in the audience. Um, I am a former high school English teacher, turned new teacher coach, turned consultant and PD person uh, nationally and then internationally. And that's all happened in the last 32 years where I've been in the field of K-12 education. And so I, I'm based in Palo Alto, California, but have not been doing work per se here, for, certainly for the last number of months, last two years, I have been at this desk doing work internationally via Zoom. So having a good time talking to people about talking. It's basically yeah. And I know one of your, your first books was about mentoring, and then your work has kind of shifted a little bit into some of the deeper, more cognitive work, more conversational pieces. So um, so tell me, what was the impetus for your book, Having Hard Conversations? What made you decide that this needed to be something you wrote about and shared with everyone? I didn't. I was, I was raised in the middle of the United States in Minnesota and in Minnesota, we, you know, you put your head down and it's cold and you stay inside, you know, you walk uphill both ways in the snow kind of a thing. And we were not, we were not a group of people. We're known as Minnesota nice. And I think that was my upbringing and I was not raised to know how to have a hard conversation. Then I went to uh, a field into K-12 education where I don't think it's something that we're taught either. And that really struck me after being an English teacher in the classroom, focusing on working with other teachers as a new teacher coach and as a professional development and facilitator for my school district, I recognized that I had a credential in how to teach students my subject but I didn't have a credential in how to talk effectively to my colleagues. And when you think about hard conversations, that was doubly difficult, okay? Mm -hmm. So I looked in our field and I was like, what do we have about that? And everything was about how to deal with a difficult employee or a difficult uh, parent, right? Mm -hmm. Everything else was difficult. And I thought, okay, I get that, but I want to work on my side of the net. 
I want to find my voice around what matters. I want to be able to have a hard conversation. And so I studied and I studied, as I say, in many of my workshops, there were people that were the ready aim people. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I really should have that conversation. I don't know how to have that conversation. I'm going to lose sleep over that conversation. Ready, aim, aim, aim. Not helpful. And ready, fire. People were like, I'm going to tell people what I think. Mm-hmm. And neither were humane or growth producing. They were just two sides of a polarity that were too extreme. And so that's why I wrote the book because I needed a book about how I could have a hard conversation in a humane and growth producing way. And so that's why I wrote it. I love that. You know, and I came I came from the field of, um, originally I was looking to be in psychology. And so that's my background. And then I found my, my calling in education, special education really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the special education training and support outside of specially designed instruction and, you know, disabilities and being able to support students is, you know, the conversations we had to have so we could collaborate. And I also remember a, uh, a up and coming teacher who was an intern for me when I was at the regional level. And she would talk about her courses that she was taking. And she said, we have this whole course this semester on collaboration and communication with colleagues. And I thought, are you kidding me? I've been like training on that for a long, it's actually how I found much of your work. And uh, I said, is this is this a SPED only mm-hmm. course or is this gen ed? And she said, no, it's just SPED. I thought, why, why don't we? Cause I saw the same hole you did in our resources as educators in how do I have these conversations? And um, that, that are really essential that you do lose sleep over at night. And I think especially when you are in leadership positions, but really any position that you're in, really, it's not just leadership or being an educator, it's being a human. We have circumstances that arise in our lives with others where a conversation is needed and it doesn't feel good that we have to have that conversation, but it's definitely essential. So so tell me then, why do we hesitate in, in your work? Why do you think it is that we hesitate to have these hard, essential conversations? Yeah. I, I know that through the number of years that I've now been working on this, I, I wanted to know, I've found out that lots of reasons that people hesitate. I thought I was alone first off in hesitating. I didn't have it together. Right. You know, like, is it just me? Is everybody else an adult who knows how to do this? And so I sought out people and I said, do you are you stopped? You know, do you hesitate having a hard conversation? I I do. And people said, yeah. And I said, "Why, why do you worry? Why do you stop? And people brought to me a number of reasons and they're in the book. In, in one of the chapters, because I and, and one in the first one of the first chapters is you're not alone if you hesitate. People say to me, "I want to be liked, and I can't figure out how to um, have this conversation and still be liked at the end." You know, um, is that possible? Because I don't want to fracture this relationship. I've had people say, "What if I have this relation? What if I have this conversation and they want to fire me?" 
You know, I'm in a position that is too tenuous. It, my financial safety is at risk. I'm hesitating because of that. Um, people say, I'm just new here. And I don't know if this is right or wrong. And um, so I distrust myself to have this conversation. Although I have um, a master's in this field and everywhere else I've been, this is an acceptable behavior, you know, but who knows, you know, mm -hmm. um, I've had people say, who am I to have the conversation? I'm just a teacher or I'm just a new teacher. And so identity is a problem. Um, there are so many things, including one that I say is, you know, they didn't, they don't really mean it. You know, they're, they're not really ill-intentioned. Um, should I really have this conversation? And I say, it's really not about, they hesitate because they think the person has good intentions. They're not a terrible person. That's a hesitation. And I say, I get that. And it's not about intent. It's about impact. And you can have the conversation acknowledging the intent might not have been ill will. And the impact was possibly something that they didn't want to have happen. And that's a fair thing. So that's just like a few of the many reasons that we hesitate. But I want people to know it's normal. We hesitate. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every Everybody hesitates. And I think sometimes the, like for me, my hesitation can sometimes be a long pause. And then I wonder, gosh, well, you know, time has passed and how do, you know, how do I now bring that up? They're going to think I held a grudge and I'm not one to hold a grudge, but you know, I think, I think timing is, is also a big piece of this. So what are your uh, suggestions for things we should think about? Because you said something a minute ago that I think is especially true for many of our audience members who most of them are, instructional leaders in the role of a, a coach or a lead teacher. Um, they're not necessarily, not all of our audience members are the, you know, organizational leaders like principals or superintendents. We have some. Uh, so hello to those folks. But if it is very much like I'm an optional support person, people get to choose to work with me. I want to work with them. I want to be liked. Mm -hmm. What do we think about? What, what's the best thing to think about here in a challenging conversation? I, I think whether you're an administrator or you're an, an optional support person, a coach like, like I was, um, it's, it's a good idea to do exactly what you just said was to, is to think about the timing. That's one piece. Mm -hmm. Um, but also think about, and I have this in the book, think about the stakes. You know, um, if I speak up, who will this affect? If I don't speak up, what will, what will be, you know, what will the effect be? Um, if I speak up, do I say something in a way that there's a likelihood of success? Is there a doability for the other person in what I'm expressing, is it doable for them? And can mm -hmm. I actually modify what I say so that it could be doable? Um, should it be my conversation to have? You know, is another person better for this conversation? And I'm not asking you to deflect your responsibility. Right. I did have a department head once say to me, I gotta talk to so-and-so about her the dress code. If I do it as a man, 
it might be viewed differently as if then from a, a colleague that's a female, a fellow female, a person in the job of coach. So could you try to have this conversation? So it wasn't that he didn't want the conversation to happen. He really thought about that option of who's the right person there to mm -hmm. have the conversation. Um, two other things. Um, is this really a pet peeve of mine or is this not right for kids? Yeah. You know, really taking a look at the personal. Are you bringing the personal into this or is this really about um, the expectations and the standards um, that we have set here? And can you really be aware that you simply are a messenger of this conversation, but it's not about you? And what will happen if you don't have it? What are the consequences for failure? Um, am I willing to accept the pain if it doesn't go well the first time I have this conversation or what would happen to kids if I didn't have it, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are lots of questions that I think move somebody toward the conversation and and that's in the book and in the workshop and the, the learning sprint we'll be doing. So mm -hmm. lots of discussion about this because not every question is the question for you in that hard conversation. So you gotta really be focused. Yeah, and I think, you know, these conversations, these situations are so complex that they really do deserve more than one question, more than one way to kind of look at the situation and really help identify, you know, what that problem really is. And is it is it one that just, it, it's a pet peeve, as you mentioned, or is this something that really isn't professional, isn't a part of our standard norms, is impacting others' lives in the building, including our students, right? So um, yeah, and then, you know, and timing, timing and all of those things. Yeah. You know, those. You know, can I talk to you right now with one minute to go before yeah. you walk into your class for the next six hours? Or, oh, I just thought I'd do this before I shut my car door on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna bring it up real quick in the in the in the blazing sun of the parking lot. Right on the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of considerations. Yeah. So then, let's say we we make those considerations, um, and we've determined that yes, in fact, this is a conversation that needs to be had, and it it isn't within my control to to facilitate this conversation. Are there scaffolds? I know the answer to this. So maybe what are the scaffolds that can keep us and what we say? That's usually the thing that I'm most hesitant about is I want to make sure that I really do come through as humane and neutral. I don't want it to be very emotionally charged. And then it's, you know, what's well, her problem kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, which is usually why I take some time just to sort out feelings and and thoughts, um, those considerations. But it, are there scaffolds that you recommend to help us stay on track with what we say or even how we prepare for that conversation? Or should we prepare or should we kind of go with our gut and our feeling? Yeah, I I have people who say, I'm a very busy person. I, I just don't have, you know, I don't have time to think about this. You know, that that's just, they're, they're wrong. And they just, you know, I'm just gonna speak my mind. And I say, well, what's Directive the problem? And, and they'll also, and I'll say, so, okay, let me just very briefly, what's the problem? And they'll be like, well, it's everything. I'll be like, that's, that's, that's a challenge right there. Mm -hmm. Pairing means that you ask what really is the problem and can you frame it 
in a in a very a neutral way? Is it connected to standards? And have you done that thinking? And that is the first of number of questions that I have in our planning map, an outcome map, mm-hmm. because we're not trying to just be angry at the person. We're going for a positive outcome. So planning, uh, thinking through what I have of six questions that you want to ask yourself. And one other of those questions is, what do you want to see instead of what you're seeing? Not just globally, but for you, what would it look like and sound like in practice if the problem was was gone. Mm-hmm. And I have people who look at that question in the outcome app and they go, you want me to spell this out for another adult? That feels very patriarchal. professional, right? Yeah. Professional. yeah. Like I shouldn't have to say this, or I feel like I'm punitive, or I feel like it's juvenile. And I say, I understand that. Two reasons why I want you to do it. One is because the person is going to want is maybe going to say to you, well, what do you mean? You want me to be a better team player? What do you mean? What am I, what have I not been doing? What should I be doing? You have that answer for them, right? Mm-hmm. And you've already thought through specific things. And the other reason is for you not to get too emotional at that point and yell back at them. Well, you're an adult. You're, a, you, we, you signed a contract, figure it out which ends up not being humane. So in the outcome map, there are two two pieces. One is, there are six pieces, but two of them are, do you know what the problem is? And do you know what it looks like and sounds like if the problem was gone? Mm-hmm. And to have those at the ready. Then there's an other scaffold, which is I, my scripting protocol that I, I've studied like a gazillion people's protocols and I kind of put something together where I want to know that as I go through it, somebody can track my thinking because they don't have it and you're not going to read it right. to them, you yeah. know, and then hand it to them so they can read it and follow it. They have to really hear you, follow the next line, follow the next line, follow the next line. It's so be coherent, right? It has to be yeah. coherent, right? And some people, if they go off track or they do this or they do that, it's not as helpful. So I have this, this scripting protocol. And in the scripting protocol, we work on that. We, we look at this idea of how do you start with a respectful tone and have you named the issue and how many things do you want to talk about that were wrong? And, you know, I, I talk about that, you know, no more than three and on and on and on. And so that there is something that I, I sort of call it the Legos, that each sentence connects to another sentence and you start to maybe practice that. And then the other person can track your thinking. And I find that much more humane mm-hmm. and much more growth producing and much less scary if you already have that together, as opposed to, well, I'll just wing it and the person will come in and it, it just ends up going this way and that way. And it ends yeah. up when you don't have those scripts, I call it, you, you could be, be closer to what I call saliva moments or verbal paper cuts. And we mm-hmm. want to avoid those. Saliva moments are where the person hears something kind of harsh and they go like this. Mm. 
And that's a verbal paper cut. You said something that's been, it just sort of irritates. The wording is so important. And that's why you have to kind of really plan so that you're not causing those verbal paper cuts and a person can track you. So there are lots of uh, ways that that we kind of go through that. And mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's so important. And you know what, it reminds me often of, you know, when I talk things out with, you know, good friends or colleagues who are helping me think about how might I, and they're like, oh, you know, is that really, you think that's really part of the problem? Like it, it just makes sense. And, and whether you have another individual, like we'll talk in a moment about our cohort, how that might offer that, um, or you are just kind of working through this on your own, it provides those, those supports for you to kind of check your work and think and rehearse. And I just think that's so important because yeah, I, I can think of many of the difficult conversations I've had where if I didn't really take the time to think through and, you know, what's that going to sound like when I say that, then it does go a little bit everywhere here or there, or I've started the conversation, but we don't ever get to finish the conversation. Um, or I think it's finished, but then nothing comes out of it, right? I feel better for saying what I thought, but I don't. Nece I didn't necessarily invite any problem solving, any kind of solution. I felt better in the moment, and now I feel kind of bad because I'm still frustrated and nothing has changed, right? Um, and I haven't really thought about what I want to change. So right. it makes so much sense, so much sense. So all of that planning, I think, and people say, we're really busy. We don't have time for this. People should just have been adults. You're, you're, you've, you've done the time. You've lost two minutes of sleep. You've had the five-minute conversation with the colleague in the parking lot. You've already put in some time that hasn't been productive. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's venting or just picking, you know, kind of helping people manage their frustration. This is about how can I take responsibility for finding my voice, doing it around what matters for kids, and doing it humanely and in a growth-producing way. So it's much more outcome-focused. Yeah, I love that. Just so much more productive. So we have this uh, this learning sprint or this this cohort coming up with a uh, it's an opportunity for other individuals, and we've got several folks already signed up. There's just a couple more weeks before our first session, um, tell us a little bit more about, uh, in addition to these things we've discussed, you know, they're going to get the book, right? So that's going to be great. What are they really going to, what else will it go into around this topic of hard conversations? What's this experience going to be like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just, um, it's not just me talking at somebody and then you reading the book. It is an immersive experience with a community. And that's what I think is so, so worth people's time. You know, uh, you're not alone, right? Not alone. Like you're not alone in it. <laughs> you're not alone in it. And you have supportive colleagues who are going to be your thought partners as you go through this. It's a, it's a three week cohort experience around, um, the beginning parts of reading and hearing from me and setting the stage, but then going into synchronous and asynchronous experiences 
that really have you kind of deepen your learning? Like, what do you think about the hesitations and what questions do you have? And you get to actually work on where should I be thinking before I speak up? How might I write that, that map? And so as we track along, we'll go through the journey. I'll be doing some live um, discussions, going through things, showing you samples, and then you get to kind of chew on it with colleagues. And for not being able to be in person for a number of days with each other, like you would have normally done, you know, in in the in the early times, this actually might get you to go over three weeks and really have time to chew on it, marinate, come back, check on it, um, talk to facilitators about it, get feedback, come back, hear more. And I call it kind of give you some gum, let you chew on it, give you some gum. And so it ends up kind of being a deeper experience with a number of people that you're supporting and that they're supporting you. And I've not been, I've not had this opportunity to do this kind of work with a Corey, with other colleagues from Sydney, to really make this a a communal experience over time. And I think it will um, end up going deep and it will kind of sink in a little bit more and you will leave with a case study and a way to go forward in your work. Um, so it's not theoretical stuff, it's really right work and that's where I think it's it's much more uh, productive and and um, and it's just going to be it's going to be a really helpful thing for you regardless of what your role is so I'm excited about it yeah I'm so excited too and and I know this that you've done this this um, experience and kind of a workshop one day kind of workshop model in the past and I really do think that that time to be able to, you know, independently, you know, not just read the book or be a part of a, a one hour live session each week, um, but also to start to put your own ideas into action and even be able to ask like, okay, am I thinking the right way? Is it this? Or be able to map out those conversations and get feedback from others who maybe aren't a part of your organization. Sometimes it's difficult to think through that when you are so connected to the others in your building. So you get an objective uh, colleague who's kind of championing you on your side. I'm excited to be one of the facilitators as a part of this. I plan on learning a lot. And again, it's just an hour a week for three weeks. So it's Monday afternoons. We'll come together live. If you have to miss just a portion of that, uh, they will be recorded. We do it. We'll do it all within the Sydney platform, which is a learning platform that'll just kind of make all of this possible. But I really do think being able to walk out, having processed through a situation that requires an essential but hard conversation, and feel good about that. So. Um, I think that's going to be so, so powerful. And even if you think right now, oh, everything's fine. I've got, you know, everything's perfect in my life. Being able to walk through that process and even be able to support others who are grappling with their own difficult conversations at some point in our lives as humans, we are going to have this, this conversation, right? So whether it's with, you know, the 
coach of your son's football team or um, others that you might be working with, an in-law, a sister, a brother, a child, a teen. Oh gosh, I've got a preteen in my household and I imagine I'll have lots of hard conversations in the future because uh, he's a lot like me, bless his heart. So, uh, so this is amazing. I know that for today, we definitely have our notes and takeaways. So I just want to remind everyone, you can download some of these points that uh, Jennifer has shared with us, but we'll also be putting the link in for this cohort experience. Um, we do have an early bird special for folks. And uh, you, again, get time one-on-one -on -one, uh, in our group with Jennifer during that cohort over those three weeks. Um, so I'm excited. And it's, I think it's just right in time for, you know, November, right in time for the holiday break. We can have our conversations and eat lots of pie. That's usually what I do after a hard conversation. Uh, it's all ready. All good timing. Yeah, it's a very good time to do it. Yeah. If you're an evaluator, you're trying to do maybe your first, uh, your first evaluation around that time. Mm -hmm prior to that that February conversation, if we're yeah. trying to make decisions about things. If you're not an evaluator and you're a coach, just the idea of we've now had a few months, we've been mm -hmm. doing some observations, the first quarter is maybe done and we're noticing maybe that we need to kind of make some choices, make some decisions, change some stuff up. This is a perfect place to start to say, how could I say this to that person? How, mm -hmm. how could I say it and still remain, um, you know, respectful and professional? And so it, welcome all is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And we really do, you know, with the, with the instructional leadership and coaching courts that, that I run, this is often a question, how do I have a conversation with, you know, a difficult teacher or about this difficult, you know, discussion. Um, it's often a question. I think especially this year, there's a lot of hesitation because everyone is exhausted. They're full, right? And you know, this this month our focus on the Coach Replay uh, show is is mental wellness, mental health. And I think this conversation is so perfect for that because it's on both sides that we support that. For us to sleep at night and feel comfortable and good about the choices and, and words that we say, but also to do that in a supportive, as you say, humane way for those individuals, especially at a time and a year where things are really, really rough. How do we still have those conversations? So there is a possible way to show both care and hold people accountable or mm -hmm. responsible, whatever word is in a verbal paper cut for you. Mm -hmm. Responsibility and care are not mutually exclusive. Right. And right. how you can ask people to be their best selves for students and for their team isn't, isn't a mean thing to do. It's the right thing to do. The question is how? How do you do it? How yeah. you do it and how can you show care and be humane? And there. Yeah ways to do that and that's what we're going to be all working that's what we're what's what we're up about that's what we're doing that's right that's right i love it i love it well jennifer i know uh we'll probably have you on the coach replay show again uh maybe even to talk a little bit about how that experience went i can't wait uh 
to to have the cohort. I think it's going to be great. In a in a couple of weeks, we'll be getting started. So it's not too late to register. For it's amazing. Yes, I look forward to all of you being there. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, Jennifer. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. We'll have you back soon. I know. Uh, I want to invite everyone to first register for this awesome experience with Jennifer. Also download the notes and takeaways. You'll find ways to be able to follow Jennifer uh, and her blog, her website, get her books, all the things. Uh, and be sure to also like, follow, and subscribe to the Coach Replay Show so you never miss another episode. All right, Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Bye, everyone.